Amen. Welcome, everybody. We're so glad you're here this morning. I am so honored to be with you today. Today, we get to talk about a new subject. It's called having a posture of worship. The fun part about having a posture of worship is many times we don't even know we are having it or doing it or describing it. And so we're going to talk a lot about that. For many of us, as we look up here, we see this as our posture of worship. We see our wonderful worship team. We see how they all are the singers. We got the wonderful Lados band. We've been very fortunate to have been with us this morning. So I, I just got to tell you that this is our usual. Would you, would you agree with me? Say amen. amen. This, is, this is our posture of worship for us most Sunday mornings. And the incredible part about it is it's like this for all of the churches around the world. As soon as they get together and they see this, all of a sudden they're, they're this group of people that just do amazing things to bring us before the throne of grace. And we're so grateful. Amen. So grateful for them. And I got to tell you, here's the thing about this. Is that when we are in church, every time that we gather together, it's very simple and easy for us to start noticing and realize we can just have this posture of worship, right? I mean, you, you walk in this building and you, and you start to see that you just are able to come gather together for that purpose. Most of the time, we'll, we'll call it the time of praise and singing, and we'll call it the time of just where we get to be before the throne of grace, and we get to be able to have the time of just singing together. We love sitting next to our friends. And what's the amazing part about in, in being a posture of worship, too, is that you all have the same seats every week. <laughs> and heaven forbid that anybody should not, you know, get to take their, take their place every week where they sit. And it's natural. And see, and we can, as a pastor, as we stand up here and we look out, we almost know when you're not here. So if you think you're going to stay home and we're not going to know it, you know, because your seat's empty, see? So we already know that your, your, your chair is, is empty and you're not here. So we're trying to figure out, okay, what, what do we do then for next? We, we try to figure out, okay, if we're going to be in the right chair, in the right place, at the right time, then we, we know that we're in our posture of worship for Sunday mornings. Would you agree? Say amen. amen. Okay, so if we know that that's our posture of worship normally for us in everything that we do, we, we automatically come into this place. And we know that we're before God's throne and in his place of grace and in his place of worship. And we're in this place where that we know we stand before the Lord as we sing, as we pray, as we lift our hands. All of a sudden now we realize this is our posture of worship. And as we do it, we find out that we're in the right place and at the right time. Would you agree? Say amen. So I have one more question for you. What happens... When the picture changes. See, we, <laughs> we do, are we still in a posture of worship when this is empty? You see, I know that I made it look like they were just doing that to me, but I actually asked them to do exactly what they did this morning because I'm trying to make a point of having a posture of worship other than just when we're in this building, and these wonderful people are up here. If we can keep to that, if we can stay that way, if we can, can realize that just because they're not here, we can still worship. So this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about what the Bible says, what Jesus said. We're going to talk a little bit about what it means to be in a posture of worship. Because if most of us are honest, that's how it looks, right? We're at church. I mean, how do we picture worship? Do we always equate it with singing? You know, being in a worship team, having them up here, being in prayer. Obviously, we would all agree that's part of worship. Because we know that we are in God's presence at that time. 
what about then what happens when the pictures change and all of a sudden now we're not here what happens to worship when the picture changes and you're not at church whether it be during the week or in a bible study or anything but you're not here you know, we're always driving around town, being busy, taking care of all of our family stuff, taking care of all of the things that we need to do. School, work, um, personal stuff going on. What happens when, like those of us that have families, you know, my, my children, I have, we, have great, we have grandchildren now who are very busy in sports and other features. Well, in all of that stuff, we've got schedules to keep. You know, most of the time from Monday through Saturday, everybody's looking at this and going, okay, right now I'm supposed to be somewhere. I'm supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be there. We stay very busy. Even in the busyness, are you still in a posture of worship? Social media, television, movies, entertainment, sports. I mean, heaven forbid that the Super Bowl's on Sunday. For those of you that stay home on Super Bowl Sunday, we'll pray for you. Anyway, so we did figure that in all of those moments of everything else being distracting, are you still in a posture of worship? And that's something we all have to ask ourselves. We all have to know that. So what about, <laughs> what about those moments when you subconsciously tell Jesus, hey, Jesus, I'm going to go out tonight. I've had a hard week. I want you to stay over here for a minute, and then I'll come back and pick you up later on because I'm going to go to this party, and you're really not welcome there. You don't want to go there. What about when you do something that you regret, and under normal circumstances, you wouldn't be doing any of that stuff? You'd be in confidence with a friend, ask for prayer, and then that friend shares that personal information with somebody else and you find out about it and you feel that friend's betrayal. You're hurt, you're angry, you're bitter. Are you still in a posture of worship? How about when the phone rings and because you have caller ID, you know it's a doctor's office? You've just had some tests done because of a strange pain that you're experiencing. And you hesitate to answer. Then as you answer, say hello, and the doctor is speaking. And you hear the words that you never want to hear. Are you still in a posture of worship? Today I submit to you that having a posture of worship is up to each and every one of us and decisions and a decision that we have to make every single day. What about if you're living in a separate state from your loved ones? And then all of a sudden you get a call from another family member who tells you that one of your loved ones has passed away. In that sadness and that brokenness, are you still in a posture of worship. All of those things, all of these, these churchy things that we do, and in my, my life group, I like to talk about the fact that when we use Christianese when we speak, oh, you're so blessed. God bless you, brother. And you're thinking in your side, you're such an idiot. You know, and you're trying not to say those things, or, and I'm gonna confess and be real here, when you're driving down the street, and I'm telling you, in the front of my car, I have a sign when I drive that says, cut me off. <laughs> I don't get it. And my children laugh at me when I say that because I'll tell you, right now, I can be driving, minding my own business, being a nice, good, Christian, pastorly type person, man. And then somebody just decides that they want to be in my space. You know, law of physics makes it so two things can be in the same place at the same time. That's a real thing. Look at all the wrecks that happen because of that stuff. I'm trying to be kind here with my words, and it is not easy when you're talking about this. But you, I, I just want to tell you that am I still in a posture of worship even when I'm saying, you know what, that driver's, um, yeah. Randy, I am not going to say the words I say. So in, in, those, in those times... 
we have to ask ourselves, you know, can we be in a posture of worship? Now, that word posture is kind of weird, so I had to look it up. And according to Webster's Dictionary, it goes like this. When it's described as a noun, it is a conscious, mental, or outward behavioral attitude. In other words, you're thinking about, when you talk about having a posture of worship, you're thinking about how you need to be when you're in that posture of worship. You're, you're consciously doing it. Well, then the better one is when it's as a verb. It says, to assume an artificial or pretended attitude. <laughs> Let's think about this in church. So when we're in church and we're singing all nice and it's wonderful up here and all good and we've just been screaming at the kids or our spouse or our friend or our family or somebody cut you off because it says that on the front of your car and you get to church and you go, oh, hi, you're so, I'm so blessed. Christianese again. But that would be the definition of the, the noun of having a posture. It says to assume an artificial or pretended attitude. Do any of us ever pretend in church? Wow, it got quiet in here really quick. So I'm just saying, in all of that stuff, having a posture or a picture of worship can be something that sometimes is not easy to do. Would you agree? Say amen. amen. And it's hard to know when all of that stuff's going to hit. So let's look at what the Bible says, because the Bible has some definitions itself about worship. In the Old Testament, in the Psalms, in several, and what's funny is this word for worship is a lot, saha. It means to bow down. And in, in Psalms 95, 6, it says, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And it's talking about the act of bowing down, but it is nowhere talking about singing, praying, playing an instrument or anything else. It's just talking about bowing down. Is that talking about bowing down physically? Probably sometimes, yes. Sometimes can we bow down when we're feeling blessed and all of a sudden things are going well and we want to thank Jesus and in our hearts we're bowing down because we're sitting before the Lord and saying, God, you have been so good to me. Thank you. So you don't have to be bowing to be bowing. Does that make sense? See, you can be bowing in your heart to the Lord and bowing to his will and saying, Father, I want to do whatever you want me to do. But you can be bowing in all of that stuff. And then in Exodus 25, now this is an interesting one because this is where the Ten Commandments are found, right? It says, it says, you shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Notice that in bowing down, there is no mention of the singing, praying, or being in worship service. But at that point, God is warning us all to not bow down or give our hearts or feel like we're bowing to something other than him. And I'll get into houses and cars and other people in a minute. Sorry, I wasn't supposed to give you that heads up. But anyway, then there's Sabasma. It's the worship of an object, like idols. Now, we know that in the book of Judges, the Israelites, they found the Lord, they started worshiping him, they got tired of that, didn't feel like God was doing what they wanted, so they made an idol, and then after they made the idol, bad things started happening to them, so the first thing they did was what? Scream out, God help us, we, we love you, we, we everything else. Now, you understand, they did this to themselves 18 times. You'll see that circle in the book of Judges. I know I'm a little anal about my scriptures. Sorry, that's weird. But he says, worship of an object. And then he goes to 2 Thessalonians. Paul's telling them, listen to me. Let no one deceive you. For there are those who oppose and exalt themselves above every so-called God or object of worship. And they will bow down to anything. And he's telling the Thessalonians, don't let those who are trying to deceive you show, tell you that there's something else to bow down to. And in that day and age, there was a thing called the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans were a group of people who told them that, hey, guess what? You can have a little crystal to bow down to. You can have money. You can have these little things. And they got mad at Paul and Silas for being in one town because they were interrupting their business of making these little idols of Diana that they were doing in the city of Ephesus. It was ridiculous. But they were bowing down, not just in their 
whatever they call religious services, but they were bowing down in their hearts. So the last one is proskuneo. And proskuneo is, is a different one because it's all through the New Testament. And in proskuneo, it is actually the posture of worship. It means to prostrate oneself, to lay out flat, to do homage, to do reverence, and to adore. The amazing part about doing reverence and to adoring, there's no action for adoring. It comes from one place and one place only. To adore means that you come from here. I adore my wife for 42 years last week. I adore my children, well, sometimes. <laughs> I adore, there's friends that I have that I adore. There's, there's places that I, I adore the Lord for some of his magnificent creations. And if you don't believe me, go to Yellowstone and you'll find out. It's an amazing place. But there are things that you adore, and to adore, proskuneo, to adore, like, like Jesus is telling us in many scriptures, it also means that it comes from the inside, not from what you do or say or act. So if you can act like you're in worship, that's a great thing. But in that acting, only you can answer this question, is it coming from the inside here? Because we have to know if, if being in adoration of who the Lord is, you're the only one that can answer whether or not it is coming from your heart. No one else can answer that for you. What does Jesus tell us about worship? In Matthew 4.10, he says, it says this. When he was tempted by Satan, he's, on the, he's down there and Satan is giving his, his, his last attempt to say, look, Jesus, bow down to me and I will give you all of this. And Satan, throwing everything out there, and he looks at him and he says, nah, please, rookie, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The worship is proskuneo. That means to adore from inside of you. Then, even in John 4.24, Jesus says this, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. It says nothing about if you're going to be a true worshiper that you've got to play guitar like Ben or drums like Brad or bass like Terry. You, that's not what he's talking about. He doesn't mention anything about singing or praying or, bow, or sitting in a place in the right place at the right time doing the right things. He says in spirit and truth which only comes from when God gave us that breath when we were born. To know that inside your heart, I want to be in a posture of worship in times when it's not easy to have that posture. When they cut me off on the streets and freeways, I got to be in a posture of worship. And sometimes I say it just like that. Really, Lord, I really I have to be in a posture of worship right now? It's his fault I'm not. And God says, yeah, get you... They can't make you be not in a posture of worship. So uh, as we look at that, those scriptures in Matthew and John, when Jesus speaks of worship, he uses proskuneo, and he says, when he talks about your worship, he talks about it coming from the inside of your being. He doesn't talk about it being something that you will do or act or, or money you give, offerings you give. That doesn't make it. Let me ask you this. Do you ever stop loving those people that you really care about? Do you ever stop loving them when they are not in your presence? So once there's, there's friends and family that go out the door and they no longer live in the same state or even the same city as you, do all of a sudden now you quit loving them? You, you, you can't say you do that. Can you say that you, you quit loving? There, there are those who have very devoted parents that they love and care for. Aunts, uncles, grandparents, those who raised you. You love them all the time. And see, being a pastor who does funeral messages a lot and memorial services, I see the devotion that these family members have for those who've gone on to be with Jesus. Yeah, they're going to miss them, but they're so grateful for what they have given them. 
They're so grateful for the moments that, that they spent time with them. And in that spending time, all of a sudden, that love and affection grew even stronger. Would you say that the more time that you spend with your friends and family, the stronger that love grows, as long as it's peaceful? I mean, is there times, obviously, when families disagree? <laughs> yeah, I can see all the heads. But here's what I, I, I need to realize. Even in the disagreements, it's not a, okay, I'm never going to talk to you again. I'm never going to do this. Although that does happen as well. In those moments, are you still in a posture of worship? Because our worship cannot be depended on circumstances cannot be dependent on things that happen to us it cannot be dependent on how much money we have or how many possessions we have or the fact that in our whole life we've never gotten to have a 1970 dodge challenger with a 426 hemi engine okay i gave a little secret away you cannot be dependent on the fact that you don't get to eat double cheeseburgers every day which is a very sad note you can't be dependent on the fact that there's two dozen, three dozen donuts out there and I'm trying to limit myself to just eating maybe a half or one whole one and then walk away. Because the whole table's right there. You realize how many flavors there are? What if you have to taste them all? Anyway, there's a lot of things that will distract you from that posture of worship. Amen? And if, when you get distracted then, what do you do with that distraction? See, what, it, what does it take when all of a sudden you start to feel that anger? Do you let it continue to build? Do you let it continue to get stronger? Do you let it to continue so that you do something that takes you away from that posture of being in Jesus' love? See, he says that he never fails and we're not going to lose him. That's the whole deal. You know, can we walk away from him? Yeah, because guess what there is? There's another thing that's coming up soon, and I'll talk about that in a minute. I have to ask myself, where does the feeling of adoration and worship come from? Well, God gave us the answer. You see, Samuel in the Old Testament, he was given the task of replacing Saul as king because Saul decided to go sideways. And Saul was not now doing the things that the Lord wanted him to do. So he told Samuel, God told Samuel, you know what? It's time to find a new king. And I need you to go, to, you're going to anoint someone from the family of Jesse. I'm going to tell you right now, you're going there. And when he went to the family of Jesse, he had many sons. Some of them looked very strong. Some of them looked very capable. Some of them looked amazing. And Eliab, the oldest one, was the strongest. A godly man who loved the Lord and everything was big, strong guy. And Samuel said, well, sure, it's got to be him. It has to be him. God says, no. And when they got to the line of all the sons and Jesse's family, all of a sudden, God didn't tell Samuel who to anoint so like human beings, we say, God, what, are you sure? I mean, there's, you told me to come here. You told me to do this. I did this. I'm here. And yet I still don't hear from you. And Samuel finally said, hey, Jesse, are these all your sons? And Jesse says, oh, no. You know, the youngest one, he's out tending the sheep. He's our sheep herder. And he's about this big. And Jesse said, send for him. And a young man, his youngest son named David, showed up, smaller than all the rest, smelled like sheep, which if you've ever been on a sheep farm, it's not a pleasant smell. But he just walked in and said, hey, dad, what's up? What are we doing? Ready, excited to be home because I got to come in the house and see with everybody. What are we doing? And all of a sudden, God says to Samuel, get up and anoint that young man. Can you imagine Samuel? This one? <laughs> Not that we as humans would ever question God. Ooh, I saw a lot of guilty looks right out there right now. So here's my question. When God looks at him and he says, it's not Eliab, no. Do not look at his appearance or his height and stature. 
because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at his heart. Any time that we talk about worship, it's not what you do, although that can have a picture of it. It's more about who you are. It's more about the inside of us. Now, I am really not trying to throw guilt trips on anybody. Please understand, this is not about you're going to go to hell if you don't have the spirit of proskuneal. All I'm saying is that if you know inside you that there are times when the posture of worship gets put aside just so that you can be angry at the nice, at the individual who cut you off, <laughs> you have to ask yourself, how do I stay in a posture of worship? How do I hold on to that feeling that God is always with me? How do I hold on to that which I want to say, Lord, I am so grateful for who you are at all times? Outward appearances do not impress our God or his son. Even though as sometimes they do with people. People in church think everybody's wonderful and has a perfect life and all of that good stuff. Because that's what we all think. So when you get to that point of wondering whether or not you should have that posture of worship, you've got to ask this, do I have a choice? Because that brings up another question. Do I have a choice of what or who I worship? Absolutely. It's called free will. You see, we know that God our Father, the all-powerful creator, could have done and made us do anything he wanted to. Excuse me. I'm getting too excited here. <clears throat> And he says, so God is all powerful and he has the power to force every one of us to bow down and, and be in that posture of worship at all times. He has the power to do it. And if he did that, if he did force us all to love and worship him at all times, there would have been no reason for the Garden of Eden. Because I truly believe the purpose of the Garden of Eden, everybody says, oh, God put us in a perfect place. Well, there's two problems there. One's crawling on the ground, and one's a big fat tree that we don't get to eat of. And especially when that thing crawling on the ground walks up to you and says, you're not going to die. Trust me. The first thing the evil one wants to do is doubt God's words in your mind. He wants you to believe that he knows more than God does, which is kind of what got him thrown out of heaven. Whole another story in the book of Revelation. We'll go into that later in the fall. But know this. Whenever you truly believe that you are losing the battle, it's not because of something you did wrong. It's because you may be under attack because of what you're doing right. Please get that. To look up to God and say, Father, why am I going through all this trouble? What did I do wrong to you, for you, with you, about you? God's looking down and saying, oh, my child, <laughs> you're not doing anything wrong. The reason the enemy has grown the target on you is because you're doing something right. If we're doing the right things for the Lord, of course the enemy wants to slow us down, stop us, take us out of this. He doesn't want us to think that we are on God's side at all times, which we are. We're the ones that forget. And he also doesn't want us to, to think about the fact that in all everything else that happened, God had a different plan than the one that the snake and the, and the, and the tree told us. It's called John 3.16. For God so loved the world, go ahead, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should never perish, but will have everlasting life. You see, in all of the stuff going on in the garden, all the way up to the day that Jesus went up to that hill on Mount Calvary and was hung on that cross, everything up to that point was the beginning of the dark times for every, all the Christians were trying to say, okay, we lost, until Sunday came. 
Because see, Friday happened and he went to the cross and he died on that cross just for you sins. Even if you were the only one on this earth, guess what? Jesus still would have gone to that cross. That's how bad God wants you to be by his side for all of eternity in heaven. Please don't forget that. Because that's the gospel in a nutshell. Jesus came, served man, loved man, died, buried in the tomb, then rose on the third day just so that we could spend eternity in with him in heaven. Amen? Wait a minute. That should have been a bigger amen. Amen? amen. Thank you. And we have to think about all of the choices that we have in all kinds of things that we can love and worship. There's a ton of them out there, right? There's the religious, all kinds of religions and cults who want to take the place of Jesus in our hearts. There's all kinds of them. Then we could look at our possessions, our objects, our houses. How many houses do you have? How much land do you have? Who has the Dodge Challenger with the 426? I mean, not me, but anyways, I'm okay with it. When we look at all of those things, let's think about what all we can worship. We got the religions of every type. Just in case anybody doesn't know, the strongest growing religion right now is not anything other than the occult itself. As we look at the religions and the cults, and then we look at our possessions, our homes, our cars, our, our money. We look at our money and the wealth. For some people, gathering as much money as you can is the answer to success and to happiness. Um, one of the most famous, richest men in the world back in 1903 or 04, I forget, he owned all the railroads, he owned everything, and, somebody, and some reporter said to him, sir, how much is enough money? For those of you that know this story, know his answer was this, just a little bit more. And understand, he had more than anybody, any Bill Gates or anybody else, but it was his answer, just a little bit more. He could never tire, and he never got tired of searching and going after more money. And then the other one that's the amazing part is those that seek power. The power seekers, the power holders are the ones that have an unusual hold on an adrenaline that just the more power they have, the more they can lord it over people, the more they can tell everybody what to do, the more they can make sure that your life is not good unless I say so. They thrive on that power. And there's a whole book at the end of our Bible that talks about those that are trying to, to order others on that. So in that time, whatever their others, and, and there's a lot more others of things on that list. That list is very, this, this list is very, you know, it's nothing compared to what it could be. Because what about choices of worship for people, people that we worship? That's a, that could be up there, too. I mean, there's lots of others. Food could be up there, which is what's gotten me in a lot of trouble. And it could be up there. So you think about what you know of that could be up there in your choices of worship. Because they're all different ways that we look at it, choices of worship or, or things that we treasure. Because to treasure in your heart, Jesus tells us something. But I have a question. Is the treasure, is the posture of worship connected in your heart? Is it connected to your posture of what you treasure? Is that possible? Is it possible that, that everything that you hold on to, that you, that you think that this is the most important, is it part of your posture of worship for the Lord Jesus Christ? Or... Has that object, that thing, that person, that wealth, any of that other list, any of that stuff, is that where your treasure is? So what or who do you worship or treasure? And only you can answer that question. When you look in the mirror tonight, see, now you're all going to get mad at Pastor Bill tonight because you're going to all look in the mirror and go, great, what do you treasure? See, now I just put the thought in your head, so I know it's going to happen. <laughs> but we're going to look at that and go, okay, what do you treasure? Because we know our own answer. Will we ever admit that to anybody in the world? Never, ever, never. 
I don't understand why people don't realize this. God already knows. God knows what you're thinking and what you treasure and what you're holding on to. There's no doubt in his mind of what you're treasuring. And the reason that there's no doubt in his mind, because he knows that you're not treasuring him in certain instances. But Lord, you know when I come to church and I see my amazing team up here, I love to be in worship. This is my posture of worship. But on Friday nights, God, I got to let my hair down so, you know, kind of my worship goes sideways. That shouldn't be either. And Jesus says this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So how is it, how hard is it to have your posture of worship for the Lord Jesus when the treasure of your heart is somewhere else? It's not that, that yeah. that's a hard thing to think about. And please don't shoot the messenger because I've been working on this message for two weeks and I have to get it out so I can go home and take a nap. <laughs> Being honest here. Because God has been doing, I, you get it one day, I've been getting it for two weeks. God's saying, Bill, what is your treasure? What are you doing? Oh, really? We have to talk? How many guitars do you have? Never mind, we don't want to talk about guitars. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is it when Jesus says those words, what is he looking for? And what he's looking for. In John 4, 23 and 24, the hour is coming. And now is. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Hold it there for just a second, please. See, when we look at this, all those words of worshipers, that's all proskuneo, or proskuneo. And I keep doing that with the pronunciation. I apologize. So now it's when the true worshipers. I want to be a true worshiper. Because to be honest with you, when you go to Revelation, the book of Revelation in the chapter 19 and 20, and you see that there's going to be somebody that gets to open the gate to the lake of eternal fire and throw Satan in it, I want to be that guy. Of course, there's a lot of you out there trying to do it too. But I'm going to try to get there first. So anyway, when we look at worshiping the Father in spirit and truth, that means that there's a time when we have to consciously make the effort to do that. I have to work harder when I'm gripping the steering wheel. And somebody is cutting me off. And I still have to say, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to worship in spirit and truth. Even though my hands bleeding from my fingernails poking into them is saying a different story. We have to realize that to be a worshiper in spirit and truth that the, that the Father seeks to be his worshipers, those are the ones that are making the effort. Does it mean we perfect it all the time? No. Does it mean that we don't fall down? I have news for you. If any of you are perfect, I'd love to be your agent because we'll be billionaires. Because there's no perfect human being on this earth. So I'm not telling you that we have to be perfect at it. All I'm asking and saying is that can we make a conscious effort to be that person? To be the true worshiper that Jesus wants. To be the, in spirit and truth. On those times, even when we're struggling. Do you know what, what makes God the most proud? When we're in the middle of a battle. Our knees are scarred. We're all scarred up from the Satan just taking his punches at us and we fall down. Do you want to know that what makes God the most proud? It's when you stand back up, all battered and bruised from a spiritual battle. And God looks down and says, this is my son. This is my daughter. Don't mess with them. They know what they're doing. They know that I am their God and they are my people. They know that I'm going to hold on to them. And in that, in that holding on, we can rely 24-7, 365 days a year. Amen? amen. And we're, amen. And we, we have to realize that at that point in time, God himself says, okay, I realize that you might have slipped a little because the slip always looks bigger to me. You know, when I mess up, nobody's harder on me than me. 
I mean, I don't know how many of you would agree to that, but, but when you look in the mirror, you're a lot harder on yourself than everybody else around you. And my family looks at me and says, Dad, calm down. It's, you, it's okay. And I keep saying, yeah, but you don't know what I do. And I'm done, you know. But I, don't, I can't do that. I have to say, Lord Jesus, I come before you because I messed up again. Here I am, the same place I've been lots and lots of times. But I want to be able to say, Lord, I thank you because your son went to the cross so that when I mess up, I appear to you whiter than snow. The crimson flow of that blood on the cross means that when we, are come, we come to the cross, we come to the altar, we come to the point of prayer, and it doesn't have to be here. It can be at your house. It can be in your car while you're driving. Please keep your eyes open when you're driving and praying. That's kind of important. I have friends that say, I'm always praying when I'm driving. I said, please tell me you're praying with your eyes open. And when we, when we become the true worshipers, in verse 24, he says this, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. When we think about worshiping him in spirit and truth, that's proskuneo, that means that we're at the point of, even when we mess up, even when I'm working, doing something else, if I'm trying to fix something or I'm out in the garage teetering around, if I'm building something, whatever I'm doing, I'm still in a posture of worship because there's not a time when I just can't say, thank you, Lord, for doing that part. You know, for a lot of years, I built truck engines for Peterbilt and those guys and big diesels and stuff. And I can remember when I would, something would fall off or I'd hit my hand on something and everything and I'd go, oh! And not say what I was thinking. I didn't realize that the guys on both of the, 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 in the aisles next to me and both of them that are in their workspaces next to me are waiting for Bill to start cussing out because they all knew who I was and what I did. And sometimes I messed up. I'm not telling you I was perfect every time. But what I didn't, and I would be bleeding, and I'd have to go wrap up my hand or something, you know, from, from something like 70 or 80 pounds falling on my finger or something. Whenever you are in a posture of worship, your light is shining. So when your light is shining and you're in that posture of worship, it doesn't matter what you think or whether you know it or not. But those around you who know you are watching that light. If that light does not grow dim, even in the hardest circumstances, they're going to want to know why. Many times I've had people ask me that. This church has seen me through some of the toughest times of my life. When I had that big hole in my side and I was carrying the wound back. And you all prayed for me back there in like the fifth row of that, those chairs back there. And I went back to the doctor on Monday after seeing him on Friday. And he looks up and he looks at me and he goes, okay, what happened? I said, what? He says, wait, when you were here Friday, this thing was this deep. And now it's not that deep anymore. This thing is closing. What happened? I said, well, my church prayed. And he said, I need to know about this church. And he went, I sat in there with two other nurses, my wife. We were all in there, and I was telling them all about Lighthouse. Saying, well, you know, these saints in here don't play. When they see the enemy stepping up, they're going to step up even bigger. And that's what happened that time. And I mean, through, the, through all of the sicknesses, the blindness, the migraines, the headaches, the torn muscles in my shoulder, all of the stuff that was going on with me, I felt the prayers of all my friends and family in this place. And in those moments, it was easy for me to have a posture of worship. But that phone call I was talking about is not fun to get. When the doctor calls you up and says, yeah, your little fall you had while you were serving the veterans, yeah, it, you tore eight muscles in your shoulder. How do you tear eight muscles in one shoulder from a one single fall? I don't know. But God does. And since then, I've seen God work with me through all the physical therapy I've had to talk to and all of those people. And I'm finishing this with stories about myself only to tell you this. I am not up here to tell you that I've always been perfect. I'm not up here to tell you that my life has been blessed beyond belief because many of you already know it hasn't been. 
but it doesn't matter where you are. As you sit out here today and as, you, as you're on, on streaming, wherever you are, in however you are, God is there. You can't go anywhere where he is not. There's many stories of that in this book. And yes, I know it looks like my book's electronic right now because it is. But see, it all comes down to where your heart is. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up now. <clears throat> because I have one final question, folks. Where is your heart? Where is your heart? Is your heart in a place that God can mold and work with it? Is it in a place that you can have this posture of worship even when it seems difficult to hold on to? Can you have the posture of worship when you're not in church? Can you have the posture of worship when somebody cuts you off on the freeway? Where is your heart? Let's pray together. Father, I am the first one to admit that there are times when my heart is not where it should be to hold on to a posture of worship. There are times when, frankly, I question even if you're there. I want to know, God, when I am suffering and hurting, are you still in that place where I can have a posture of worship? Are you still in the place where that, in holding to a posture of worship, I will know that you are there? Because, Father God, there are times when my heart gets burnt. My heart gets tired. And I don't know all the circumstances where everybody is today. But I do know this, God, that you are with every one of these hurts, failings, and struggles. I know this day, Lord, that there's somebody who's wants to cry out to you and doesn't even know how. And all we want to say to them is just call on the name of Jesus. Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the one that we can go to whenever it is and whatever it is. No matter how bad you think you've done. No, how, no matter how bad I feel that I failed. I thank you that I can come into the presence of Jesus. So Lord, I would ask for all my friends and family, my brothers and sisters out here, every single one of them, for all of the things that they're going through. I don't know them all, but you do. Would you hold them close to your heart? Would you hold them into your hands? Would you wrap your arms around them and let them know that you are not just a little bit present, but you are ever present, always. We thank you, oh God, for this time that we get to be in this place together. And yes, Lord, as we celebrate in a posture of worship here together, we lift up the name of Jesus to say thank you, give you glory and honor. And Father, I ask now that if there's anybody here who does not know you, does not have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, may they not leave this place without finding it. We want them to know, God, that you are here and that this is the place. So Lord, we thank you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Family, here's the deal. I'm going to ask um, Randy if you'll come up on this side. Um, Byron. You want to come up over on this side? Um, we want some guys up here. If you want to just come up and have some people pray with you, Jeff's in the back. We, we would love to talk with you and pray with you. You may stand during these songs. You can sit. But I am blessed that you're here this morning. And God brought you here for a purpose. If for nothing else, the fellowship of those wonderful people in this room. I love you all. God bless you.
Nothing about anything that we know or see or do can take us from his hand. Remember that this week, church. As you go out, we're grateful that Pastor Eric got, has been able to go on a sabbatical for the month of August. And he's going to be gone for a while. We've got some real good stuff coming up for the month of August. We're going to hear from our missionaries that we support. So August is going to be a missionary month. And next week, we'll get to hear from some friends who live far away on a little tiny island in Indonesia. So I'm hoping and praying that you will come back. If you're out there and you can't be here, then please watch, because the Marshalls have some incredible stories, including fishing for swordfish in a canoe. Dead serious. Love you all. And I would just tell you today that go with God's blessings, his peace and his power. And as we've heard before, it's time for us to go and be the church. God bless you all.